The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
It is the custom of this congregation to extinguish candles on the loss of a beloved member. So this morning we extinguish a candle in honor of Ardeth Fortier. Ardeth was the mother of six children, one of whom is Carrie Steer Salazar, and with whom Ardeth has lived for these last nine years, and many of us know her. She was at all church events and choir rehearsals and sat over there most recently with her big smile, her kind words. She passed away on Monday at the age of 92, and she will be greatly missed. Greetings and welcome everybody and a special welcome to those who are joining us on live stream. It's great to have everybody here with us this morning. If you haven't already gotten your order of worship this morning, I invite you to do so so you can follow along as we go through our worship service together. I want to thank everybody who makes Sundays possible around here from our tech crew, our camera people, our building staff the rest of our staff, and also my assistants, our worship associates today, Dennis Adams and Sam King, in disguise, but you might recognize them despite that. I just want to remind everybody of the protocols for those who are here, you probably know them already, um, but those who might consider coming, that we are welcoming people in and giving folks a healthy social distance, uh, asking that people wear masks, actually, uh, that you wear masks the entire time you're here, that you um, are vaccinated and have proof of vaccination. But just come on Sunday mornings at 11, and we'll check you in. And if the weather holds out, we will have coffee hour outside, maybe under umbrellas, I don't know, depending on how intrepid folks are. And for those who are at home and joining us, the Zoom coffee hour still continues, so feel free to join that way. And today, there is also, after service, a party going on nearby for the RE families, the religious education families, and anyone who wants to join. So if you want to run home and grab a costume, or if you're already in one, some people I see delightfully are, please feel free to uh, join that. You can get the details from me after service. And this is a service appropriate for Halloween, a service on the costumes we wear, a service on the whole notion of disguise. So let's begin worship together. Let's light our candle as we have every week since the beginning of shutdown for those who can't be safely with us here in this space, but are with us, that we are all together here in spirit. Mm -hmm. 
So for those at home, you can sing out loud and proud our hymn number 52, In Sweet Fields of Autumn. And for those here, you can hum with gusto. <laughs> and let's rise and body your spirit as you're able, just to get our bodies engaged or whatever it takes for you to feel like your body is engaged in worship and in motion and beloved as we begin our worship with song. join me in our unison chalice lighting. The words are printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Hello, I'm Dennis Adams, a worship associate here at UUSF. As this is your first time watching, thanks for joining. And you can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of this video and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter, which you can get by signing up through a link to our connection form. That is in the order of service and video description. The order of service also lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour, which takes place after the service. When the weather permits, those who are with us in person can join in a real life coffee hour in our courtyard. We just ask that you keep your masks on when you aren't sipping your beverage. I want to call your attention to a couple of things in our bulletin this morning. Next week in worship, we will honor those we have lost and want to remember. If there is someone you would like recognized, 
Please send Vanessa that person's name and a sentence or two about them in a, a photo if you have one. We need all the rituals of mourning we can find in this chapter of life in which so many have been missing. Also next week, like every first Sunday of the month, our BIPOC Black Indigenous People of Color gathering will happen on Sunday at 9.30 on Zoom. If you are a friend or member who is black, indigenous, or a person of color, please join for some renewal and care and inspiration. That ends our special uh, invitation today. It's time now to maybe slip a little deeper into our space together by doing our ritual on meditation and breathing. The words are in your order of service. I invite you to hum along or sing if you are at home or just listen and enter more deeply into the spirit of the hour. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, when I breathe in I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. Now please join me in our spoken covenant and sung doxology. The words are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. From all that dwell below the skies, let songs of hope and faith arise. Let peace, goodwill on earth be sung through every land, by every tongue.
recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of two such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first as we have since July of 2019 for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the mounting trauma to children separated from their families, for all the people held without charges in less than transparent or humane circumstances, in this repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation's and our world's history of xenophobia, racism, and greed. We ring our gong seven times for this week of days in which human dignity has been dismissed and for our responsibility for that as members of the interdependent web. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 47,469 people died of COVID-19 globally, 10,352 in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of these losses, each one of those people precious and worthy of health and safety. And we hold with gratitude all who are working around the world to produce and distribute vaccines and all other efforts to support greater health, survival, and immunity from the virus. So much to remember and to hold. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers and may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Invite us to breathe deep. To maybe not cut the strings of all the pieces of life that are still pulling you back out into the world and will reclaim you soon enough, but maybe just untie them and set them aside and promise you'll get back to them. And just feel your body. Ooh, what is it holding? What would it tell you? 
about where you are these days and what you need. What do you miss? Who do you miss? What gives you delight? The Reverend Forrest Church One of my ministers growing up used to say that God wasn't God's name. It was just our name for what was greater than all of us and yet present within each that we knew and understand stood so differently and would never fully understand what it was we felt in so many ways as we walked through this life. All those ways this mysterious force works and shows up in ways that for me are about recalling us to our deepest selves and connection lest we try and stand alone and to just being awake and present to life fully awake as fully as we can stand So I ask that in our meditation this morning, we consider ourselves in a posture, physical or spiritual or both, and emotional that's open to life in all the ways that it calls out to us and shows up. to life, force of life that connects us in love, disguised as a friend who won't take no for an answer, or anyone who sits quietly with us in the waiting rooms of life, all those who love us no matter what, To that force in the universe that recalls us to delight. To delight in the beauty of a crisp blue sky or a cloudy overcast one too. It calls us to delight in the bird song of skylark or goldfinch or nightingale or to awaken in the call of the owl who cries out, to who we are and want to be and might yet be. For the sunrise, 
And the flash of color across the horizon that says, if we catch it each morning, that each new day is full of glorious possibilities, and one such day has just begun. And for the sunset, surrendering to darkness, reminding us one more day of striving has ended and we have done what we could. And it's time to rest before the next begins. For all the disguises that the force of life and love takes on, to recall us to it, reclaim us, thread us more deeply into connection and community and vibrant purpose. For all your disguises, force of life and love, we give thanks. So 
overqualified to be a clown. So I'm clowning around at Fisherman's Wharf when some joker from a passing car window shouts, hey clown, your mother dresses you funny. Then cackling, they're gone. A drive-by shouting. If they only knew how right they were, it was true. My saintly mother, Ann Adams, was a pretty skilled seamstress who often over the years fashioned my colorful clown clothing and fancy collars. So yes, my mother did dress me funny, as you can clearly see, but that was never the insult it was intended to be. I was so proud and truly privileged to wear the beautiful outfits she made for me. We've probably all enjoyed playing dress up from time to time, at least for Halloween. I cannot recall many of my childhood costumes as I was constantly changing my mind and so often ended up becoming a hybrid of several different characters. For instance, I'd be torn between cowboy or astronaut, and so would end up being the first space cowboy, years before that song came out, by the way. I loved becoming different characters and noticed on comedy shows folks like Red Skelton, Flip Wilson, Jonathan Winters, and Carol Burnett, often with just a simple prop hat, scarf, or coat, would transform in a flash into a whole different person. From my youth, I'd been on stage in theatrical productions, and so from early on came to appreciate how important makeup and costumes are. One of my favorite TV shows growing up was Mission Impossible because how they were always assuming different characters in order to advance their goals. Often a nurse's uniform or a security guard outfit would alter people's perceptions and make them more pliable to the Mission Impossible team. I also loved the Wild Wild West show because Ross Martin, as Secret Service agent Artemis Gordon, appeared in nearly every episode in some disguise, changing his voice and appearance physically and costume-wise to become different. Of course, these days, a true spirit of Samhain, scaring away bad spirits, and Dia de los Muertos, remembrances of good spirits, have become somewhat diluted by the powerful, ubiquitous candy industry into a celebration of all things sugar. One of the most difficult things about performing at children's birthday parties was their abundant sugar intake and subsequent nuclear reactions and even meltdowns. Still, that's another time children enjoy dressing up and getting the odd face painting, allowing them to assume a new or different personality according to their fantastic minds and wishes. With my trusty, twisty animal balloons, I'd often outfit a child with balloon helmet, sword, and scabbard watching them instantly trans into a pirate or one of Robin Hood's merry band. Interacting with children at play was always one of the most delightful and rewarding aspects of my times as Poindexter the Clown. Kids tend to have far fewer filters on their emotions, and I love how that translates into the characters they assume and create. After 44 years wearing the motley garb, my greatest legacy may be all the smiles, laughter, and mirth I helped to create with these angelic beings. I'm wearing a bright example of my mother's legacy for all to see today. She had a real eye for color and contrast. And it is always with reverence toward my mother's memory that I'll wear even the simplest clown collar or costume. It was so tremendously validating to have my mom as both head costumer and president of the Poindexter the Clown Appreciation Society. <laughs> Whatever character or creature, animal, mineral, or vegetable you turn out as this year, I hope you have a fun time. 
That's what it should be all about, not how much candy you can acquire, yeah, right, but how much fun you can have, scaring people, being scared by people, or simply celebrating our creativity together and remembering those who've crossed over and possibly occupy a different plane now. Happy Halloween. And next week, we'll be delving a little more deeply into both Samhain and Dia de los Muertos.
I was a kid when the commercial internet first came out, and my dad cautioned me for my own safety to never use my real name or tell anybody who I really was. I would always sign up for services online with the name of one of my video game characters, my gamer tag. I still haven't fully migrated off the Gmail I signed up with that name. That anonymity was a boon. When I was playing an online game, people didn't immediately know that I was just some immature kid. They had to wait a few minutes until I said something immature before they realized that. A lot of times, women and girls get harassed online, but if one of them is playing a video game and uses a generic name and a male character, then other people will treat them just like they treat me. There's something very meritocratic about that. When you're wearing a disguise, people have no choice but to judge you for your actions. And of course, it's not just about games. I work in tech, and some big tech companies mask the names on resumes because of some studies that white-sounding names and male-sounding names are more likely to get an interview, even when those names are attached to the very same resumes. Unsurprising that some of my friends who were women of color had a much harder time than me getting their first job out of college. After all, most companies use your real name, and they'll probably look at your LinkedIn, too, which has a picture on it. Anonymous freedom was one of the promises of the early internet, and it didn't really start to change until Facebook came around and started telling people they had to use their real names. I was actually at Google when they started working on the ill-fated Google+, and one of the big controversies then was that Google was following suit with strict requirements on names. They required a first and a last name, so people like Madonna couldn't even sign up until they let her put in a period as her last name. The superstar, Madonna Dot. We had a petition going around called Real Names Considered Harmful, talking about things like deadnaming of trans people, talking about how important pseudonyms were for activists in the Arab Spring, talking about how one person's disguise is another person's safety and identity. But we know that anonymity isn't all meritocracy and social change. When I was in high school, I was part of an underground paper. The paper started out anonymous, but one of the students in the year before me used their anonymity to badmouth one of the school administrators, so the school figured out who was who. And in my year, we still used pseudonyms, but the administrators all knew who we were. Sure, there's cyberbullying and hate speech online, but it's not just online that people use a disguise as an excuse to be a jerk. Anonymity gives certain freedom, freedom to be yourself and have fun, or freedom to harm without consequence. That's what trick-or-treating is all about, right? Give candy to the superhero at your door, or under cover of night, a masked villain might egg your house. Happy Halloween, everybody. Make sure to bring plenty of sweets for all the ghouls and goblins out there.
So much thanks to Nancy Munn and Bill Gans and Ben Rudiak Gould, who are singing from the McCondry Room, consigned still to the dungeons that we can dream, can't we? But it's fabulous to have them with us. We send our love to the dungeons and our gratitude. Oh, this is interesting. I have a page that is a complete mess. Hmm. All right. I'm a manuscript preacher, so having a page that's a complete mess is not a great thing. But okay. We'll see how it goes. I have never been much of a costume person, but freshman year in college, the school I went to had a strange tradition of a big party that would happen at the mausoleum where the founding family was buried. It's macabre, but you're a freshman. It's time to leap into things with abandon. So I started talking to a friend of mine about costumes. Eric was a local Bay Area person and a theater person and an incredible creative brainstormer. So we started thinking of what to do and he suggested we go to his high school, which was only an hour away where he still, I think I remember, had the key to the costume closet and I think asked for permission. But anyway, we went there and opened the closet and he picked something out, and I don't remember what he picked out for himself, but he found this dress, this little girl's dress that looked perilously small, and he said, this is for you. You're going to be Pippi Longstocking. A pair of long socks, a clothes hanger unwound and put through my hair and through two braids, Eyeliner used to make big freckles. And I was transformed, in fact, that October night into a heroine of mishap and single living. The costume was an incredible hit. So much so that the year after graduation, back home in New York City, and still able to miraculously squeeze into it, I didn't hesitate when a friend asked if I wanted to march with them in the Greenwich Village Halloween Parade. And so there we were, I think some of you already know this, right behind the Mae West Marching Band. And I had my five minutes of fame, waving to people as they yelled out my name, wanted to shake my hand, even joining them in song. I am Pippi Longstocking, if you say it fast, it's funny. Pippi, Pippi, long stocking, how I love my happy name. I had a kind of jaunty swagger in those moments that I rarely otherwise, I think, experience. Costumes are these powerful vehicles, aren't they? For personal liberation, for trying on a new sense of ourselves, for inhabiting a new being. And I found out recently that it isn't just us who has this experience. My daughter just finished her field hockey season. For home games, 
knowing that dogs were allowed, we would all bring our dogs, and though they didn't outnumber children at the games, it came close. One of the most favorite of the fans, the four-legged fans, was this dog, Ranger. Ranger is a golden doodle, <clears throat> fluffy and bouncy. He loved being at the games, his owner told me, and he's a hoot to have there. For instance, if you start to cheer, Ranger starts to bark. And if you go, woohoo, Ranger thinks you're howling and he howls. And once we figured that out, well, you know, <laughs> we probably howled more than we cheered. How go team. Anyway, Ranger also wears a costume. My daughter's school logo, mascot, I don't know what you call it, is the red devil. <clears throat> and if you want to see Ranger in his red devil costume, you just have to look at the front of your order of service. What is hilarious, though, is that at the last game, standing next to Ranger's owner, Dodie, I said how much fun he had been, how much fun it had been to have him at the games, and she said he loves the games, and he loves the costume. I mean, when I even take it out, he starts getting all excited because he knows he's going to a game. And here's the kicker. She said, he's normally a shy dog. He hides behind me when we go places, but when he's in costume, he comes out with, of his shell. So people, we are not alone. Ranger is also transformed by his costume, as some of us are, have been at times. Movies, books, so often have the trope <clears throat> of the disguise. The masquerade ball, in which inevitably people do things or say things or connect and move through the world in ways that normally society or habit would constrain them where people fall in love across class or barrier that they don't see when there's a costume between them. Cinderella wears a costume, so does Viola in Twelfth Night. Robin Williams, the famously quirky and somewhat unreliable husband, remember, becomes the more dutiful and trusted caretaker as the nanny in Mrs. Doubtfire. Costumes change people, change the way they are seen and able to move through the world, change the way they do see themselves. I remember Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker, saying in one of his talks, when did you learn you couldn't do the things you can't do? It was this wonderful reframe in the form of a question, another way of saying, that we learn the things that we cannot do at some point in time. And that learning has a dangerous sticking power, maybe more than it should. And as a corollary, you might say that at some point we learn also who we are and can be or can't. When did you learn the person that you can't be? Maybe then costumes give us some way into a way of being for a day or a night, the person we thought we couldn't be, 
but always yearned to be, to test the limits. Dennis, Sam, and me, we all found that a little bit in a disguise. And perhaps, perhaps all of life, perhaps each new chapter starts with some kind of pretending. I remember the first time I went into a hospital room as a seminarian, person in training, the head of the chaplaincy department at the hospital said to us all, just go in and say, hi, I'm, and say your name, and say, I'm a chaplain. How are you today? And because I was forced to do it, I did it. But inside, while I said those words, my head was screaming, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't even play a chaplain on TV. Most of us start our work life just as one example, but any new chapter of our work life, I think, feeling like we're putting on some kind of a disguise. We buy the clothes, the costume that seems to indicate we might be worthy of the job. We grab the briefcase or the fireman's gear, fire person's gear, or we put on the minor league bravado. We step out onto the field and we do it until we blend in. Doesn't it kind of feel that way? Fake it till you make it. That's the advice we give folks in such moments. And really, what is that but telling people to use disguise as a strategy to success? And it works. It gets harder, this way of being in the world, though, when that disguise is tied up in fear or shame of being found out as in some way fundamentally unworthy of whatever it is we're pretending to be. For people who are, for instance, not born into normative culture or whichever normative culture prevails, costuming and pretending can be toxic because of the messages that say that anything non-normative is allowed in on trial or until we reveal our difference. In these moments, success and acceptance is conditioned on a permanent kind of hiding. And there's coercion to that reality that's about control and power over the other, that asks them not to be other. I know people, and I'm sure you do too, and maybe it's been you, and maybe it still is you in certain times and places who have felt that kind of forced disguise, who have felt the need to disguise forever that they grew up poor, but because of education or luck or hard work, found themselves in more elite circles economically, or who came from immigrant communities and learn to disguise their accent and blend in as quickly as possible, or people of color talk about code switching, right, which is in part the need to learn how to act in one way to succeed in white culture, and another at home with family and friends, but no sense that one way of being would be acceptable in both places. Women historically, and in some places still have to, have had to learn how to pass and disguise their differences. I mean, this robe is a huge disguise, right? 
One woman I know who was the first department chair at AT&T when it was the kind of promised land of engineering in America, filled with men. Erna had three children, but she also had learned not to draw attention to herself as different or with different needs. I'd go to the bathroom, Vanessa, she said, at the headquarters, and I'd express breast milk into a shot glass and dump it so no one knew I was nursing, which is to say, so there would be one less piece of evidence to identify her in anyone's minds as a woman. We are amazingly adaptable, strategic creatures, we human beings. But there's a lot of soul energy spent on the soul-crushing work of figuring out who we need to pretend to be, to be loved, or safe, or successful. In a 2015 documentary, The Mask You Live In by Jennifer Siebel Newsom, governor's former wife, I think, right? His wife currently. Oh, thank you. She does, in this film, examines with others the notions of masculinity in the United States. If any of you have seen it, you know that, and how those notions of masculinity get taught and reinforced in boys and in men and at what cost. One of the metaphors that one educator, Ashanti Branch, uses in the interview is the mask. He talks about the mask that the boys he is educating and working with in the school prepare to put on a mask each day before they go to school to make it safely through the world. The one, he says, that they then sometimes forget to take off and even forget how to take off. The psychologists and sociologists and school leaders who are interviewed name the cost of this permanent disguise. At the age that boys stop talking about their feelings and about late puberty, stop confiding in friends about their vulnerabilities and feel comfortable showing affection, internalize the message that they're supposed to be self-sufficient and in control and not acknowledge any need to feel safe and loved and cared for. By that time, by the time they do all that, make that transition to internalizing the messages, suicide rates for boys go up to five times what they are for girls. And by age 20, that number is seven times the rate of suicide. And depression, which most often shows up in boys as anger or violence or a shutting down and an inwardness, is often accepted instead as just signs of strong, then silent, boys and men, a kind of idealized norm of masculinity. That's a disguise of its own. During interviews with the male students and the other men in the movie, at one point a facilitator asks the boys or young men to finish a sentence that's all about taking off the disguise. Complete the phrase. Please, they're asked, if you really knew me, you would know. If you could be vulnerable and transparent, show what you are afraid to show, it's essentially asking, what would it be? And the boys say all kinds of things. 
normal, beautiful things. You would know I lost my mother in fifth grade, one of the boys said. His friends don't know that. And all of it, just a life that would be healed by connection of the very kind that this forced disguise gets completely in the way of. True for boys and men. We can only imagine how much more true for people who are gender non-binary or queer or trans, and we know the rates of suicide, so we know that's true. What costumes do you wear? And what does it hide? And could you risk taking it off? Can you find, do you know the places where it's safe to take it off? Is it safe here? Because it should be. We should make it that way, right? And in the spirit of Halloween, in what ways do you want to stretch and grow? What limits did you learn, did we learn long ago, that we might test again? And what costume would we wear in order to do it? What experiment, in the larger sense, in the world, might we step into to do that? At a mausoleum on the big stage of the Big Apple streets behind a band of bosomy men dressed as Mae West in their own quest to stretch and grow beyond their learned limits, I imagine. I got to explore what it could mean for an afternoon, evening, to be bigger than life and audacious and capable of fighting pirates, Pippi in all her outrageousness, still loved by her captain father. and, as it turned out, by the fans at the side of the parade. And Dennis learned he could delight children, didn't you, Dennis? Be exuberant in the world and let it play out its magic inside you and outside you, with a costume and a red nose, all blessed and made, some of it, by mom, which mattered. And Sam, you took your first steps into the adult world of women and men behind the veil of a character name in a game and learned the dance, I imagine, of being in the community that waited for you just around the corner of adolescence. Disguises are necessary sometimes. Disguises are powerful vehicles for growth and change and expression. Disguises can be deadly. So we commit this day in particular to making a world in which people can enjoy their disguises when wearing them expands their sense of presence in life and a world in which everyone is safe to take them off. Too. So may it be. Happy Halloween.
it be a dance we do. May I have this dance with you through the good times and the bad times too. Let it be a dance. Let a dancing song be heard. Play the music, say the words, and fill the sky with sailing birds. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance. Learn to follow. Learn to lead. Feel the rhythm. Feel the need to reap the harvest. Plant the seed. Let it be a dance. Let it every turn and spin. Let your body learn to bend, and like a willow with the wind, let it be a dance. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance. A child is born; the old must die. A time for joy, a time to cry. Take it as it passes by. Let it be a dance. Morning star comes out at night. Without the dark, there is no light. If nothing's wrong, then nothing's right. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance. Let the sunshine. Let it rain. Share the laughter, bear the pain, and round and round we go again. Let it be a dance. We take off disguises when it suits us. We have others we wear. We put disguises on when it suits us, or we have to show up at the church picnic. And we do it all when we do it, ideally in service of larger life for ourselves, for the world. So please join with me as we say our benediction. In our goings and our comings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us. And grant us peace and joy. For this is the day we are given let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Happy Halloween. <laughs>